So as we continue with this idea about stories, we've been talking in our worship over the last month and considering what this season of return is like, how we return after some grief and some challenges, like Naomi when she returned with Ruth to Bethlehem, or what it's like to return to something different, like all of those who came back from Babylon, from the Babylonian exile when they returned to Jerusalem. And the experience of returning seemingly against our will, returning when we're really not sure that we want to, a little bit like our friend, the prophet Jonah. This morning, we're considering the resurrection. All four of our gospel accounts give an account of Jesus' resurrection. There are four varying perspectives of this event, the cornerstone, some would say, of our religious story. Each one has a unique perspective. Each one is told by someone with a slightly different view of what happened. All four report the earliness on the first day of the week. All four tell us of the presence of women of Mary Magdalene and other women and their role as being the first to confess aloud that Jesus had risen. All four report the empty tomb and the presence of angels to clarify a message to let them know what, in fact, was happening and what the women were seeing. All of these discussions about return have me considering some pop culture, albeit it's some older pop culture. One of the things I think about is the movie The Return of the Jedi. It's the third in the trilogy of Star Wars movies. It was released in May of 1983. Much of the movie is spent working towards this climax, the end of this story of defeating the Empire and blowing up the Death Star. The movie ends with these goals achieved and a brief shot of everyone celebrating their victory. We don't see or hear much of anything that comes next. We don't know how each of the main characters got back to their homes. We don't know if Han and Leia got married or what happens to all of the droids. The music swells and the credits roll. And that's the end. It's not all that unlike the account of the resurrection in Mark's gospel. There's a massive victory. Death is defeated and Christ raised from the dead. But we don't hear a thing about what happens next. The final verse of Mark chapter 16 reads, So they went out and fled from the tomb, and for terror and amazement had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All that had been commanded to them they told briefly to those around Peter. And afterwards Jesus sent out through them from east to west the sacred, imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Full stop. The end. We don't hear anything else. It's different in the other three Gospels. The Gospel of John gives a similar account of the resurrection, but we hear so much more about what happens next. In John chapter 20, 18, we learn that Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all of the things that the gardener, that Jesus had said to her. And we read on about Jesus' appearance to Thomas and to the disciples in the upper room. 
John chapter 21 goes on to tell us of Jesus' appearance to more of his followers. Even the beautiful scene that's set when they all share a breakfast around a campfire on the beach. And Jesus' back and forth dialogue with Peter about love and feeding sheep. The last chapter of the Gospel of Luke begins with Jesus' resurrection appearance to Mary Magdalene and the other women, and then goes on to tell us of the walk to Emmaus with Cleopas and the other guy, and, and how their hearts burned within them when Jesus taught them about the scriptures and the beauty of God's world. The Gospel of Luke ends with the ascension story, how Jesus ascends into the heavenly realm. In Matthew's gospel, a gospel account of the resurrection, we hear only a little bit more than Mark's account. We're told of the women and also of the soldiers who go and try to explain to the chief priests what happened and why the tomb is empty. Matthew's gospel also gives us the Great Commission. When the resurrected Jesus tells his disciples to go out into all the world and share the good news. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke and John tell us a little bit more about what happens after that resurrection moment, after the moment of victory over death, of the truest and most powerful love changing the world. So with a lot of help from Dylan and from Andrew, I've learned that these Gospel accounts are a bit like another piece of popular culture, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Return of the King. In this particular saga, also the third in a trilogy of stories, hobbits Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins, with the help and guidance of wizards and elves and humans and dwarves, change the world. After a perilous journey, Hobbit Sam carries Hobbit Frodo deep into Mordor and up Mount Doom into a volcano where a golden ring is dropped into the lava and destroyed, destroying evil along with it. Like the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and John, we hear more about what happens after that moment of victory in the return of the king. Sam and Frodo are reunited with the rest of their team, with the elves and wizards and dwarves and humans who help them throughout their quest. And we eventually follow Frodo as he returns home to the Shire. Before his quest, Frodo's world was small, and everything he needed could be found within reach of the Shire. But having seen the world, including the great peril that he'd faced, he was both anxious to return home, and somehow it wasn't quite home anymore. The companions from his quest were no longer by his side each day, and the things that fulfilled him before did not bring him the same joy. The world changed when evil was defeated, and so had Frodo. Sam, the other hobbit, is able to find his belonging again. Sam gets married and settles back into the life he lived before, different but not restless. Sam found a new kind of peace. Frodo couldn't find the same peace. He had seen too much, and he had been changed. We are all on this side of the resurrection. We are all living in these after times, 
after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the work of the apostles, after Jesus' physical presence on this earth and the immediate impact of his ministry. We're also living through this season of returning. We're beginning to return to the things we knew before our lives were changed by the coronavirus pandemic. And there may be some Sams among us, those who are finding peace, those who have wrestled through the upset and the uncertainty of the past year and a half and have found a new way to be. And there may also be some Frodo's in our midst, some who have been changed, who wade tentatively into these new days with caution after seeing what was with a new sense of what could be. Perhaps the followers of Jesus did the same thing. We read and know of some who traveled as far as Asia and Africa and India, finding new places to tell Jesus' story and share what had happened and what could be. Some found peace in the telling, and others, I imagine, never settled into one particular place, but kept on moving and kept on storytelling and sharing as long as there was breath in their lungs. I wonder how does the story of the resurrection change you? How does it impact the world around you? Has the pandemic changed you? Has the pandemic changed your world? Surely we all have an appreciation for things that we were, that we're now able to experience that we weren't for so long being together, even outdoors on these hot summer mornings, but worshiping together means far more to me than it ever did before. Just being together, sharing a meal in lawn chairs with plates on our laps or sitting outside on a patio and attending a play or a concert or a baseball game, it brings a joy that's been out of reach for a long time. Being through these challenging and difficult months has helped us to learn. We have learned so much. We have cultivated empathy. We have practiced hospitality. We have embodied love. We've had ways of doing things before the globe shut down, and now we get to sow the things we did before and the things that we did during and find a new way to do all of those things. We get to find still more ways to empathize and to welcome and to love. What we return to now is new life. New life that somehow holds an even greater capacity for the abundant love and radical hospitality of God. Inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we meet this new life. Having learned things, having been through things with a new capacity to see before us possibilities. We meet this new life with a greater capacity to empathize because we've seen and experienced challenges and struggles aplenty. We meet this new life with a wisdom and an understanding that only could be known because of what we have been through and what we continue to face. We greet this new life that is overflowing with promise and with possibility, the new life of God's beloved community built on a foundation that's made all of the stronger because of our collective story. We don't greet this new life alone or all at once, but in community, 
figuring things out each step as we go, embracing the power of the resurrection, the beautiful story of what comes next, the abundant love and radical hospitality that God pours out on us and the excess that we get to use and share with all of creation. May this be so. Amen.